Well, good morning. Welcome to Battleground. Whether you're here, whether you're watching online, I invite you to take your Bibles and open them up to James chapter 2. We finally broke out of chapter 1, and James's thought, remember, the Bible did not have chapters and verses in it. It was written as a letter, much like someone would write a letter to you. And so this thought is continuing as we do that. And so just a reminder, next week, we're going to have a picnic right after church. So bring your own lunch. We're going to be over at Patriots Park. We'll provide dessert and drinks. And I just want to make sure I mention that with you. So, why talk about prejudice? That's the sermon today, faith and prejudice. So, did the pastor feel a little spunky this week and said, you know, I'm feeling a little rambunctious. I think I'm going to talk about prejudice. Is that the way I pick my sermons? No. Why am I preaching on James chapter 2 today? Somebody tell me. That's right. That's right. And so, if you're new with us, watching online, that's what we do here. We preach through books of the Bible. I'm preaching through James. And listen, this is the Word of God, and God wants us to talk about prejudice. So that's what we're going to talk about today. So stand with us in honor of God's Word. We're going to read all 13 verses today. And... uh, I'm going to go with this as hard as I can, and if I don't get done, we'll pick up where I left off next week. James chapter 2, verse 1. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, And if you pay attention to the one who wears fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has God not chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones, who, the ones who oppress you, the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law, but fails in one point, has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. And if you commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak, and so act, as those who are judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy, To one who has shown no mercy, mercy triumphs over judgment. This is God's word. Lord, as we come to you, we say, help us, Lord. Reveal the blind spots in our lives, those dirty closets that we never open. Lord, you love us. James loved the church. This message is a message that is saturated in love. And so, Lord, may we allow through the power of your Holy Spirit for you to lean into our holiness this morning. And if there be any wicked way in us, Lord, would you convict us, allow us to repent so that we 
can be free. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So James has been in pursuit, this radical faith. He's saying a Christian is one who expresses faith, this radical faith. Radical faith is Christian faith. There is no other kind of faith in the world of Christianity than that which seems radical to the world. And he's told us last week that it pursues things. One of them is quite pragmatic. Communication in our way we love others. We love others by the way we speak, by the way we use our thumbs. But also, faith pursues the powerless, those who cannot help themselves, the most vulnerable in our community. And it pursues this Christ-like holiness by trying to keep the world from rubbing off on us. It is to the third point, our Christ-like holiness, that in chapter 2, James is about to lean in so that we don't just be able to fill in the blanks ourselves. He leans into our particular area. So last week we ended, I didn't get to ask these questions, so let's ask them in our introduction. Do I love how God loves? That's really what he's getting at. Is my life radically devoted to this, to know God and to know how he loves and to match that? So remember, you don't have to turn there. Remember Jonah with me. Remember the story of Jonah? Jonah hated who? The Ninevites. God told him to go preach the gospel to the Ninevites. He didn't want to. So what did he do? Went the other way. After a few days in the, belly, in the guts of a fish, he had a little bit of a change of heart. But reluctantly, he was the reluctant prophet. So he reluctantly obeys. He goes to the Ninevites and he preaches to them. And what happens? They repent to his dismay. So he's sitting up on top of a hill. Do you remember? Hoping God's going to fry all those people like a bug. You know? And instead, the Lord grants them repentance and forgiveness. And in chapter 4, it says, This displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry, and he prayed to the Lord, Oh Lord, is, this, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee, from, flee to Tarshish. Listen to what he knows. For I know that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. Therefore, O oh Lord, please take my life. It's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord says, do you do well to be angry, Jonah? Jonah hated the Ninevites. He only reluctantly obeyed. He never loved like God loved, although he knew what God, who God was. He knew what God would do. Do you remember he, drew, he grew a plant? The old Jonah loved that plant, gave him some shade, and then the Lord sent a, sent a worm and ate that plant. He got mad again. You remember? Listen to what the Lord said to him. The Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Verse 11. And should I not pity Nineveh, the great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right from their left, and also much cattle? Jonah loved his own. Jonah loved himself. Jonah loved his comfort. But Jonah never loved how God loved. Jonah cared for the plant. Why did Jonah care for the plant? 
because it was a benefit to him. That's why he loved it. He never loved those made in God's image. And God says, should I have not have mercy on the men, women, and children, and even the animals, of all of which would perish if I brought judgment? Why did Jonah hate the Ninevites? Prejudice. Prejudice. This is the question that James wants to ask. Has my view of life, has my view of others become polluted by the world in which I live? And and we were sitting there going, well, I don't think so. But how can I tell? Here's what James says this morning. Let's go to church. And I'll show you. That's sobering, isn't it? So I want you to just see four realities as we deal with the sin of prejudice. First, the most sobering one for me, prejudice is a reality inside the church of Christ. And so here's what says, you can look at the text with me, it goes right into this little hypothetical story. He said, let's go to church. And it's almost as if it's sort of third person and he takes, he said, let me, let me hover you over a typical church in the biblical south. Let me show you what happens. Two men come to church. Doesn't matter whether they're saved or lost, that's not the point. The point is, one was obviously rich and powerful and the other was obviously poor and needy, and to enter in to the church at the same time. The church members, picture the pastor especially, swoons all over this man. He's got a ring on. You see, remember, if you remember the story, the, the parable of the prodigal son, that ring is a picture of authority. They actually had places you could rent rings in that day like you would a tux. So he was wearing this ring. It was a symbol of I am powerful. I am prominent in the community. They swoon over him. The powerless man is at least ignored, if not treated with contempt. Now this is an important concept to understand when it comes to prejudice. When you elevate one person, you always step on somebody else. When you elevate one person, you in elevating that person or that group Step on someone else. James says that you're putting yourself in the place of the judge. So listen today. This is true. Prejudice is not a white thing or a black thing. It's not a rich thing or a poor thing. It's all our thing. It's all our thing. So what is this? Prejudice. Prejudice is making a judgment on another person or group of persons based on some type of external appearance. This could be ethnic, this could be socioeconomic, this could be gender or some kind of other social grouping. We look at this person or these group of person and we make a judgment about something external. The Bible doesn't use the word prejudice. It uses the words partiality. In some of your Bibles it even says favoritism. Biblically, and we must define words biblically, biblically when you, when you read the word partiality in the Bible, it's, it's, it'll over, you just look it up. It's everywhere. It means this, an inclination to favor one group or opinion over another. To favor one group of, or opinion over another. The Bible also says, talks about to be a respecter of persons. It means to lift the face. Listen to this, another important, showing the contrast, Proverbs 18.5. It's always at least two people or two groups, often more, 
involved in prejudice. Listen to Proverbs 18, verse 5. It is not good to be partial to the wicked or to deprive the righteous. So here's what happens. When you show partiality or favoritism to the wicked, in doing so, you will slight the righteous or the rich and poor or the black and white. The context of this is the most important to understand. Verse 2, the context is the gathered Christian community. He's not talking about the world. He's talking about what happens every day when you go to church. When we gather together, notice in verse 2 it says, For a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into where? Your assembly. It's where you're worshiping. Prejudice was their reality. Look at verse 3. They told the poor man, sit here at my feet. Now you may have a translation that says, he made him his footstool. It's the picture, if you remember Psalms 110, it says the Messiah will reign until he puts all people under his foot, or he makes them his footstool. It's the picture of having someone in subjection, even holding their foot on their neck. By pandering to the rich man here, they have become an active oppressor to the poor and brought themselves under God's judgment. Study it for yourself. Please don't take my word for it. When you oppress the poor, you will bring yourself under God's judgment from the old to the new. Prejudice is not only their reality. Prejudice is our reality. So let's just try to be honest with inside of ourselves this morning, we all of us prefer those who are culturally and even ethnically like us. When we see people who are wearing long robes or their heads wrapped in turbans, we get uncomfortable on the inside. And the honest truth is, most likely they do too. We by and large live in segregated neighborhoods and segregated churches. And we often do it because we choose to. It feels safe and it feels comfortable. I oftentimes work right there on that bar at the sub-factory. And here's what I noticed. Sit there all day long. People lined up waiting for it. Blue-collar folks are drawn to blue-collar folks. White-collar folks are, are, are drawn to white-collar folks. White folks to white folks and black folks to black folks. This doesn't mean we hate each other. But listen, this is important. This just means we prefer folks, and we hang around those we prefer, right? Let's just be honest. That's what he's getting at. James is saying that that seems to be simple, but where it leads is dangerous. Because where it will lead to us is to elevate one person or group of people at the cost of somebody else. In other words, prejudice left unchecked always devolves into more wicked expressions such as racism and bigotry. Some of you are old enough to remember the preference of the majority of white people was to live in neighborhoods with themselves. And so what did it devolve into? Red lines that kept black folks from getting mortgages so they could move into the neighborhoods because we didn't want them in there. You see where it devolved? Starts out with an innocent preference. It ends up in full-blown hatred. James is leaning into our holiness here. He loves us enough, and God does, to say, this is a loving others issue. 
Isn't it interesting? And we've all experienced it. Christians are the greatest people to experience prejudice throughout history. We live in such a world of tolerance. Except when they see us as intolerant. And then they don't tolerate us. Why? Prejudice. Prejudice. So, it's everybody's problem. But listen, we need to first realize this. Look at verse 1. Prejudice is incompatible with faith in Jesus Christ. Prejudice is incompatible. Look at what it says. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. And you would almost, the way he's worded it, can't tell that this is a present active imperative. This is a command that we are not only to do once, but we are to keep doing it. As you keep holding the faith, you keep not showing favoritism or partiality to anybody else. Why? Well, look what the text says. Because the Lord Jesus Christ is the Lord of glory. That's why. I don't have time to get into this. James is showing us his Jewish roots. He's connecting the Lord Jesus Christ to the Yahweh of the Old Testament. He's saying that Yahweh is the judge, not you. The master of glory is the judge of all the earth. And so he's saying, before you look down on someone else, you need to remember that our master owns everything, including you. You have no right to exercise prejudice. It is incompatible with the glory of Christ. Psalms 50 in verse 1. It's just, there were so many here, I just had to pick one and delete the other ones because I didn't have time to read them all. Psalms 50 verse 1 says, The mighty one, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. And in verse 6 he said, The heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. Jesus is the glorious one. So here's the question. Can prejudice coexist with the glory of Christ. That's what he's laying out for us. Can they, do they, are they compatible? He's saying, not on your life. Not on your life. Interesting here in verse 5, he says God does show preferential treatment, but he does it to the poor. Why? Why can I look at someone who is in the most broken and helpless situation, and say, you know, you're just the kind of person that God uses. Because this is what he does. Why? Because God always elevates the glory of his grace, and he never elevates the glory of man. God always elevates the glory of His grace. He never elevates the glory of man. And so when God helps someone who is down flat on his face, it puts His glory on display. And He prefers that because He's God. It's another point. God came in human form and redeemed us all. The law condemns us all. So here's the picture. The rich man and the poor man must both go flat on their face before the king of glory. And when they, when, when they repent and put their faith and he lifts them up, he gives both of them the same mission. 
He doesn't give a different mission to the rich man because his W-2 is bigger. They both have the same mission. But listen, God makes the journey of your life because he's sovereign. And some of us are going to live in Section 8 housing. And some of us are going to live on the country club. And it doesn't make a lick of difference because we have the same mission but different journeys. So don't look down on other people. The greatest prejudice that happens happens in the poor community as well as it does the rich. Because we want some what somebody else has. Prejudice is incompatible with the glory of Christ. It's incompatible with faith in Christ. Turn with me to Acts 10. Acts 10. The Bible gives us such illustrations. Don't you just love that real people really mess up in the Bible? <laughs> gives us all hope. I'm going to talk about Peter mess up in a minute. But do you remember... Peter up on the rooftop and he had a vision and the, this, this sort of blanket come down, all this unclean stuff in it and God teaches them a lesson. Then Cornelius comes, this Gentile guy comes to faith in Jesus Christ. This is sort of the summary. Acts 10 verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth, says, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Here's what Paul says, Colossians 3.11. Same thing. Here, there is no Greek or Jew. So put a pause there. Here where? Here where? Well, if you look at the context, here's what you're going to say. It's the new self, the new man. What it means to be a believer is to be new. So inside of that context, that's what we're saying, it's incompatible with faith in Christ because the old is gone, the new has come. Here's what he's saying. In the new man... There is not Greek nor Jew, nor circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave free. But listen, but Christ is all and in all. Black or white, free or slave, rich or poor. Christ is over all. And if you're in Christ, no matter what your economic class or ethnicity, we are all indwelled with Christ. You see, here's the issue. It's a gospel issue. Prejudice is a gospel issue. In Christ, you see, the poor become rich. The poor become rich. You know this verse. But let's look at it. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. The reason why verses come alive over and over again is because they meet us where we are. Today, we're talking about prejudice. Think about the gospel in your life. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, for though he was what? Rich, yet for your sake he became what? Poor, so that you by his poverty might become what? Rich. Your physical life is a reflection of your spiritual life. When we struggle physically with different things... We must realize one of the first places we need to work on is to strengthen and deepen our own spiritual life. There is no naturally spiritually rich people. You get that? There's no naturally spiritually rich people. We are all born slaves of sin. And the only people that are saved are the spiritually poor who have no other hope but to Christ and turn to Him in faith. And to them, and to them alone, 
no matter their physical situation, he grants them the kingdom. In Christ, the poor become heirs of the kingdom. 1 Peter 1, 3. We talked about this at Easter. I love this passage. 1 Peter 1, 3 and 4 says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation to be revealed in the last time. The spiritually poor become rich, and they become heirs of everything, and it is kept, guarded, and protected, whether I live in the penthouse or out under the tree this morning. That's true if you're a child of God, and nobody can change it. We reject prejudice because we ourselves were powerless, but God in his mercy elevated us into the very family of God. But don't, don't, don't miss this obvious part in verse 6 and 7. Prejudice is incompatible with our common sense. This is just, here's, that's just what, I can't put it any, I didn't know how else to put this. Look at verse 6 and 7. He said, but you dishonor the poor man. Here's the question. Uh, this guy who come in that you fell all over, making much of, are not the rich the ones who oppress you? <laughs> are they not the ones who drag you into court? Are they not also the ones that blaspheme the honorable name by which you've been called? This is an actual illustration. I'm not making this up. Had a rich single man want to join the church. And so if you've ever joined the church, I had this conversation with you. Right? Here's what new member equip looks like, and here's what we're going to talk about. And, you know, just start having a conversation. And during that conversation, I know it's coming. When somebody slides their glasses to the other nose. So he looks over. I can't see you right now. Everything's blurry. He looks, he looks at me. He said, uh, I'll join, but you know you're in trouble when the but comes. But here's what I want. And he tells me what he wants. I can look around here and see. I can really help y'all people. But you know, here's the truth. My temptation at that moment is to pander to him, even though I know he will make my life miserable and potentially cause division in the church. This is, what, this is James' illustration. You're pandering this guy, and, he, and he's dragging you to court over five bucks, and he's not paying his employees. Some of them go to church. He's defrauding them. He's going to get to that later. And you're bending over and making much of him. Here's what he's saying. Does that even make sense? It's not compatible with your common sense. Here's so much more I can say here. When you dishonor someone who Christ has stamped his name on, you dishonor Christ. When we dishonor people that God has created in his very image, we dishonor God. That's no small thing. This word blaspheme here can actually mean slander. Here's the question. We know that. We know this already, right? Yes, we know this. And why do we struggle with it so much still? A few reasons. Prejudice is often motivated by the fear of man. 
Now, here's what I like, Galatians. If you ever struggle, you like it when the Bible tells the truth about somebody else that you think a lot of that messed up. Galatians 2, verse 11. I bet Paul was a firecracker. Wouldn't you, can't you just wait to have a conversation with him one day? Peter was too. Cephas, when Cephas in the Bible, that's Peter. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Verse 11. Because he stood condemned. For certain men came from James. He was eating, before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when he came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I, listen, but when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before all of them, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? He's sitting there eating his barbecue, having himself a good old time, and the Jewish people, these Jewish guys come in, and he said, oh, I'll see you all later. Reminds me of a bad lunchroom experience in school, Right? Everybody picks up their tray and leaves that one person sitting on the table all by himself. That's sort of the picture here. Praise the Lord, Paul wasn't having it. The question is, did Peter know this was wrong? Yep, remember Cornelius in Acts 10? Yet he still sinned against his Gentile brothers. Why did he do it? Fear of man. Brothers and sisters, we can boil down a lot of our problems down to the core and our dirt and our life and find the fear of man sitting there. Prejudice is often motivated by the fear of man. And listen, it is always motivated by selfish desire. Let's go back to that man who looked at me like this. Why was I tempted to pander to him? Why did the preacher feel such a temptation to just go along. Can somebody tell me why I would just would pander to him? Money. Maybe, maybe he's got a, a couple hundred thousand dollars to spare in his bank account. And if I pander to him, he could help our budget. Matter of fact, we're about to start prayer and fasting, asking the Lord to provide so we can see if we need to upfit our building space, and we're going to need some supernatural provisions. But if I find me a couple of honeypots like that, I won't need to pray at all. That's the temptation. He can help me with my budget and my building program. The root of all prejudice is something that you want. It's pride. It's Social acceptance, it's greed. Jude 16 says this is what false teachers are motivated by. Listen to this. False teachers are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters. Listen, showing favoritism to gain advantage. Same word, partiality. Prejudice. It's oftentimes motivated by the the fear of man, our selfish desires. It's also because we are prone to making sinful judgments on people. (laughs) Verse 4. Have you not made distinctions among yourself and become judges with evil thoughts? Answer is, yep. (laughs) Now, if you work with people, if you're in leadership in any any, any kind of place, including motherhood, You know this is a problem. 
Somebody walks up to me and starts talking, my first inclination is to not listen well and say, I've heard this story before. You've got a problem. It's this. Right? Just tune it out. I know what, I know what your problem is. No matter what business you're in, you're in banking, you're in sales, or you're just a parent. We have a tendency to look through people and make sinful judgments on people. This is why Paul charges the elders in 1 Timothy 5.21. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging. Do nothing from partiality. First rule in leadership 101 is do not make a judgment without the facts. And when you look into somebody's life and make a judgment on them, because, but any other reasons besides what is in them, you have just failed into sinful judgment. And that is prejudice. Do you remember 1 Samuel 16? All of David's brothers, all the big, tall, handsome. No, little old Little old scrawny guy smelt like a sheep. That's the king. Here's what God says. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And if he does, so should we. Don't come away with this saying you're not supposed to judge. That's foolishness. You can't help from judging. Matthew 7 is a, is a passage that everybody knows. Judge not lest you be judged. It's not teaching you not to do. Read the text. It's teaching us how to judge It is saying you are going to judge, but you must judge without prejudice. The only way you can judge without prejudice is to take the time to get to know people and care about that person so you know what's going on on the inside of them. There is no other way. If we don't take the time to love people well, we will find ourselves in a prejudiced pool of self-centeredness. Prejudice is incompatible with the glory of Christ. It's incompatible with faith in Christ. It's incompatible with both our common sense and it's always motivated by some kind of selfish desire or sinful fear. And that could be enough. But this is just half of James's argument. Remember who he's talking to. He's talking to mostly Jewish believers. And so verses 8 to 13, he says in verse 8, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well, but if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted of the law by its transgressors. And so, just trying to keep this short today, I just want you to see a couple things. Prejudice is sin. Prejudice is sin. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, it's sin. Let me just read this to you. Most people think James had this verse in his mind when he was talking. Leviticus 19 and verse 15 says, You shall do no injustice. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. But in righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among people. And you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your neighbor, your brother in your heart. But you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against against the son of your own people. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Sin is 
Prejudice is a sin against the law of God. It is a sin against the royal law. Now put together two things here that he's wanting us to put together. This royal law with loving God with all your heart, loving your neighbor as yourself, and the law of liberty. The new covenant was inaugurated with Jesus Christ. We don't, have, we don't go back and follow Leviticus. We follow Jesus. But here's what Jesus said. What is the greatest commandment? Love God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as you love yourself. And he's saying, when you don't love the poorest among you, you become guilty of the whole law. And listen, here's his point. You don't want to be judged by the law. That's why we're Christians. <laughs> we love mercy. The word sin here, we've heard this before, means missing the mark. But here's what he's getting into. Prejudice is a moral failure in our life. Not only that, if you look at verse 9, you see the word committing there. Committing implies an active, willful choice. In other words, prejudice willfully breaks the greatest commandment God ever gave. Prejudice is sin. And listen, this is just a gospel working out in our life. Prejudice brings judgment, verse 13. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. You don't want a law with no mercy. Nobody does. Jewish believer says, we're keeping the law. He said, okay, well, let's go to church. Let's, let's test that theory. Looked around church and see people pretty much where everybody pretty much looks the same. James is saying, by not loving the powerless, the whole law condemns you. Job understood this. He said, God will surely rebuke you if in secret you show partiality. Listen, this is where I want to turn the corner. I want to turn the corner. I'm sorry if you came wanting a 15-minute sermon. You know if you came here, you probably you don't come for that reason. You have to bring your steak knife when you come to church here. This is good. This is, so if you need to, you know, we used to, Christina used to stand people up and do head, shoulders, knees, and toes. This is a head, shoulders, knees, and toes moment right here. Because you need to get this last part. The issue is not law. The issue is mercy. That's how you're going to change. That's how I change. That's how I got out of a depressed funk Friday. The law of liberty is motivated by the mercy we ourselves receive every second of every day. Do you not know the devil would kill you in your seat right now if it wasn't for God sustaining you? He would have your soul in a millisecond, but God is keeping us. He's even keeping the ones right now that are run astray. In Christ, we receive extravagant mercy rather than just judgment. The gospel in four words. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Peter, who knew a little something about mercy, said, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you had received mercy. If this is true in our life, and it is, then we should show mercy rather than prejudice. 
Look at verse 12. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. I know that might seem sober. Oh, we're we're Christians going to be judged. Yep. But we're judged under what? You see it? The law of liberty. Faith in Christ has set us free. Free from hatred. Free from self-loving. Free to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Believers are going to be judged, but under the law of liberty. And in Christ, listen, the law of liberty is the law of mercy. And mercy always wins. That's the message. That's how he motivates people not to be prejudiced. Remember what you have received. Do you remember Romans chapter 7? Paul's struggling with his sin. He can't stop it. He wants to stop it. So there's a law fighting inside of me. What I want to do for God and what I keep finding myself rolling around in. What am I going to do with this body of sin? And then we hear Paul say this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Praise the Lord. No condemnation. And he just goes on a roll in chapter 8, doesn't he? Verse 9, he says the spirit of God dwells in you. In verse 15, he said the spirit testifies that you are in the divine family. In verse 18, he says they don't matter what anything happens in your life. Nothing can be compared to the glory that is waiting for us in the future. He couldn't, just, he couldn't stand it anymore. And so in verse 31, he's going to say, what can we say to these things? If God is for me, who can be against me? If God didn't spare his own son, but gave up his own son for me, who's going to lay any charge against me? Who can separate me from the love of God? The answer is nobody and nothing on this side of heaven or the other. Mercy can rejoice in its victory because Christ has won it for us. And here's the question. Does my life display this? Is my life characterized by mercy or prejudice? Here's what I'm asking you to do. Look at your friend group to answer that question. Does everybody in your friend group about the same age as you, the same ethnic you, the same beliefs as you? Only hang around white, middle-aged Republicans. It's the answer to your question. God did not hand you a mission that looks like people, that looks like you, that already believes like you. Who can be saved if that's how we live? Gives us a mission to go to all peoples, no matter who they are, no matter what they struggle with. And listen, don't get me wrong today. The church's mission is not to right every social or judicial wrong. The church's mission is redemptive. But inside the body of Christ, we have both a judicial and a social role to play in the way we live, in the way we love other people. And don't let the politicians confuse you. We have been called, we have been redeemed by the mercy of God to reflect that mercy as we go about in our life. To this we have been called. 
The gospel is powerful enough to make the greatest enemies the best of friends. It's done it his whole life since the cross. And it's true in your life today. The grace that has stopped flowing in your life must start flowing with you. Love people. Not as they love you in return. But love people as God loves you. Let's pray together. And so God, we come now as your children to respond to the text. To respond to your spirit. It's leading, it's working in our life. Lord, that may look like any number of things. Lord, we got seats open in the front if someone needs to come and pray. Don't let the devil quench, Lord, the work you're doing in the hearts of people right now. But Lord, the tables are set on both sides of us. And as we do every week, Lord, we come to the cross before we come to the table. We come to the cross saying, Lord... Show us mercy. Lord, I pray for your people. I pray as you comforted me by reminding me of your great mercy in our family's life. That you would remind those that are hearing me today of your great mercy in their life. For life itself is a mercy. And we thank you for it. And so now, Lord, we thank you for the mercy of the cross. For the blood of your Son that was shed. For the body of your Son that was broken. So that we might be forgiven, redeemed, adopted, filled. And safely home one day. And Lord, we just want to worship you now. And we're asking you... To pour your grace and your spirit on us now. Give us the wisdom and the courage to step out and respond with this gospel into the waiting world that needs us to show them what Christ looks like and how Christ loves them. Be worshipped now in Jesus' name.